and following a very high standard. And I'm not just saying that, I really enjoyed all that has gone before. And I just hope I don't mess it up on you. Um, I'm very impressed by the turnout as well. Uh, who knew how extensive the Catholic underground really was? Um, I come from Lewisburg, as you were told. And uh, I'll probably hang myself with this story, because knowing my look, somebody from Lewisburg will see this. But um, I remember a story being told uh, in our family. It was about a neighbor. He was a great guy, very charismatic guy. He was a serious man. You wouldn't mess with him. A big family. He was a small farmer. Um, and um, he had just got married. This was when, long before I was born, he had got married. And this was the story. And uh, his mother was a very, very strong person. That often happened in those days. And he married a very strong woman. And there was holy murder going on in the house from, from just after the wedding. Because, of course, the old people were living with them. That was quite common then. It was quite normal. And he was out working in the fields, and he came in for the dinner, which is in the middle of the day in Mayo. And uh, the two women were at it, hammer and tongs in the kitchen, showering abuse on each other. <laughs> and he stood listening for a while. And um, he didn't intervene. He didn't say anything. They were so intent on each other, they didn't notice him. And he put his hand behind the dresser, which contained all the lovely china in the house and the wedding presents. And he gave it a push, knocked it over, smashed everything of value in the house. There was a moment of shocked silence. And then the two women turned on him and showered abuse on him. <laughs> And he went out the door with their imprecations following him. In a moment of sacrifice, because he would have to replace every piece of china in that, in that and maybe more, he had brought some harmony to his home. He had secured, or begun to secure his marriage. He had made it clear that he would not let the family dissolve into fighting and squabbling, and that he was not to be trifled with. He went back out. That's not a sexist story. He was a man. They were women. They were all strong people, great people, and they're all gone, I'm sure, please God, to heaven. Great people. I suppose what I'm saying to you here today is that approaching this synod and approaching things generally in the church at the moment in a spirit of adolescence, of, of, of of just reacting angrily, of uh, doing things just to get attention. None of that will be any good. None of it will be any good. It's going on already. Uh, it's been done, okay, for centuries. And I don't think that that particular tedious um, uh, tune needs to be taken up again, okay? But we may have to turn over a dresser. We may have to do that. Now, I admire that when it's done by a man who knows the value of money and who knows he's going to have to replace what's in it. I respect that. An Egypt just turning over the dresser for the sake of it, I don't respect. You know the old saying in the countryside? Any fool can burn down a hay shed. Took a man to build it. Yeah, building takes 
Building takes vision and courage and sacrifice. Now, I'm talking to you here this evening, and I'm going to tell you something that maybe some of you don't want to hear, because there's a, even among, shall we say, the conservative group in the church at the moment, and I am not entirely, but a fairly conservative priest. Um, some of my colleagues would regard me as, as having even serious doubts about the Council of Trent. Um, <laughs> but I'm, a, I'm actually genuinely conservative. A conservative isn't afraid of change. A conservative respects its destructive power and learns to manage it. What's crucial to conservatism is you bring the best of the past with you. Remember your Burke a great Irish statesman whose wisdom is there to be had if we would only reflect on him. One of the greatest parliamentarians who has ever lived, Edmund Burke from the Blackwater Valley in Cork. Well, he was a Dubliner, but his people were from there. Yeah, you bring the best of the past. You bring the best of the past. And then you can face the change. Then you can face it. You remember the great conservative trope, the Aeneas in Virgil leaving the ruins of Troy, Troy on fire, and Pius Aeneas. Why is he called Pius? Because he leaves Troy with two things. He leaves it with his aged father Anchises on his back. He carries his father on his back. And in his hand, is the little bag containing the lares and the penates, the little idols, the household gods of a pious Roman. Hmm? You bring the best of the past. Then you can face anything. And that's what we must do today. I'm telling you now, a few of you there are the finest of people and better Catholics than I'll ever be, but some of you talk sometimes, and you're talking as if we can go back to this integralist situation, is that, is that somehow this is going to happen again, and throne and altar, and Louis XVI will get his head back, and all the rest of it. Well, he, not in this life he won't. He's a very holy man, so please God, he did get it back, but not in this life. Okay? The revolution happened. We're in the Europe we're in. We're in the world we're in. Deal with it. Get used to it. You want a time again when, in the words of Joyce, the Christ and Caesar are hand in glove? They never trusted each other. And I was reliably told that Ireland was one of the few countries in the Second World War which routinely broke into the diplomatic bag of the Irish, of, of the Vatican Embassy. Cheerfully. I don't think Nazi Germany did. They never trusted each other. Do you think John Charles McQuaid and de Valera squinting at each other across the desk fully trusted each other? They were two brilliant, dedicated men. And they were both Catholic, yes, but he was the head of the state. And, and or he, was, well, he, was the, he was the head of the government. John Charles McQuaid was the most powerful churchman of his time. Will you get this into your head? Don't be offended. I, I don't have long. I have to say this to you. Get this into your head if it's not in there already. You listening to me? We don't belong. We never did. We never will. This side of the grave, they will never trust us, and they're right. That's intelligent on their part. I congratulate them. Smart boy. They're right not to trust us. 
cuddly Catholics. An absurdity. A real Catholic is anything but cuddly. You might as well cuddle a half-starved, bedraggled polar bear with a bad attitude and mildly psychotic tendencies. A real Catholic is fully alive. A real Catholic has two, has, no, not two, has, has, has some 4,000 years of tradition. And if you go back into the Jewish people who spawned us because the Redeemer came through them, he is a Jew. All of that tradition is ours. Now, they wouldn't like me to hear me say this, but I say it. We're their unacknowledged child, whether they like it or not. Do you think you belong with that kind of a heritage? Do you think you belong with the, with the Redeemer we have, with the Savior, with Jesus of Nazareth? The world hated him. It hated him, and it killed him, and it'll hate you. And it may well do the same to you. And I'm going to say something to you now. Frederick the Great once asked it of a crowd of soldiers he saw running away. Dogs, he said, do you want to live forever? Good question. He was a great cynic. Hmm? And I ask, I ask that. I ask that of myself. I ask it of some of my fellow priests. Look, I have nothing against safety, and I'm not getting Luddite on this, okay? The government did their best. Okay, I'm not going to knock on the government. I've knocked them plenty on other things, but they did their best. Were they right? We'll see. I think they did their best. But it was unfortunate to see some priests and some Catholics going around frightened. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Moloch. I can't remember the director. He's Russian. It's about Hitler, and he's up in Berchtesgaden, and... And the local parish priest gets an audience with him. And I don't know if this is true. It's a moment in the film. But certainly it's true artistically. And the parish priest has come in to plead for the life of a local lad who's in the army and he deserted and they're going to shoot him. And that stuff happened. I think something like 25,000 uh, German troops were shot by their own officers. And uh, Hitler's charming, as he could be. Hitler was very charming, if he wanted to be. He's charming and he's kind to the priest. And he despised priests, but he's kind to the priest. And then the priest asks him for this, and the mood changes. The next thing, Hitler starts shouting at him. And finally, because the evil, this is so artistically true, the evil often see more clearly. They often do. They do the good. Didn't our Lord say it to be? No, he didn't say it about the evil. He said it about the business community. I'm sure he didn't mean they were evil. But he said to the apostles, he said, look at them, look at them, look at them. They're up. They know what they're at. They know their business. They're wide awake. And you lot, you're asleep. The children of light are asleep. And Hitler says to the parish priest, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you Christians. I'm sick of you. You never shut up about eternal life. And you're all afraid to die. Interesting comment. That is such an interesting comment. In the film Downfall, and I hesitate to go any further, you really think I'm obsessed with Hitler. <laughs> and I'll confirm any number of stereotypes. In the, uh, Jordan Peterson uh, has a huge preoccupation with him. Hitler's a very significant personality for a whole load of deeply uncomfortable reasons. And he's a particularly uncomfortable modern personality. But anyway, in the film Downfall, which is regarded as historically very accurate, Joachim Fest, the German historian, commended it highly. One of the SS generals says to Hitler, but we can't do that. 
we, we've, we've lost so many men and so many of the young officers are dead. And Hitler snarls back at him, and what else are young officers for? But that's true. <laughs> what does a soldier do? He offers himself to die. I remember General Sir John Hackett when he was head of the British Army. He was an author and a military historian, scholar in his own right. And, and he, he said exactly that. He said, he said, the soldier primarily offers himself to die for his country, not primarily to kill, but offers himself as a sacrifice for his country. Our Lord was kind to soldiers, as far as we can judge. What else are young officers for? What else are priests for? What else are priests for? I hear all this talk among priests, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to my fellow priests. Well, I do, and hopefully I manage to get away with it. Because <laughs> I'm afraid of them. <laughs> so it's easier to say it when they're not here. But, but I mean, I've heard at meetings where priests are banging on and on. Oh no, we need lay leadership. We need lay leadership. Aren't you the leaders? The lay people have to run the world. The lay people have to raise families. They're war out leading. We're supposed to have their backs. We're supposed to lead the church. And then, fine, I can see the point. Then, fine, yeah. You do need lay people active, very active in the church. You do. The likes of Frank Duffer, they're indispensable. But you see my worry. You see my worry, because I see a whole load of officers trying to scramble back to HQ and let everyone else take the flak. George Patton? You know what he was most proud of, the American general? He was posted up the figures. The proportion of officers in his army who were killed was vastly, in proportion, vastly higher than the proportion of enlisted men. Patton was insanely proud of that. His officers led sacrificially from the front and asked for nothing they didn't do themselves. Mm, they weren't, and, and look, only a fool isn't afraid to die. I'm afraid to die. I'll tell you how to face death. Bring several changes of trousers. <laughs> because in the words, because in the words of the Duke of Wellington, a man should look well for the enemy. You should dress well for the enemy, okay? You don't want to let yourself down. If you need a few changes of trousers, bring them. There's nothing wrong with being afraid, so long as you do what you said you'd do. Because if you don't, we've a problem then. And now we come back to being a man. The world has decided it doesn't need us. Doesn't need us. We're big and we're thick and we're smelly, and we're ignorant and toxic, and we're, we're, we're violent, and as was rightly said earlier, no doubt there'll be a storm of anti-male uh, propaganda on the foot of this horrific death of that lovely young teacher. Let me tell you something, and here I echo the words of Edmund Burke as he talked about the Queen of France in his reflections on the revolution. Let me tell you something, for every man evil enough to do that to a woman, there are a thousand who would have died for her. I believe it, and, and, and I would say that's every one of you. You don't think you would, but you would. It's what you're for. It's what you're made for. And I'm saying this to you here this evening. All right, we're coming into a crucial time in the life of the church. Now, the church is going to make a pig's breakfast of it, it always does. 
So you can take that as red, because it's the church, and it wouldn't be the church if it did it well. We're going to make a hash of it. We started making a hash of it while he was still on earth, just so that he could have a taste of it before he went. So that he could actually see what we were going to do afterwards. And we've kept it up. But, but, it doesn't have to be a complete disaster or anything near it. And I'm not saying this to, to Bishop Bash or, or anything else. I've got, I, I know a lot of the bishops. A few of them are my classmates in Manute, the, the finest of guys. Okay? I, I, I'm just saying, we have to take it upon ourselves to do what our confirmation sealed in us, to be soldiers of Christ. Do you remember being told that? Some of you are of a certain age. I don't mean old, but maturing nicely, like an old port, like a fine old cheese. <laughs> Ripening. <laughs> no, no. You, rem you remember this. It is absolutely crucial that we step up to the plate here. We don't belong in this society, and yet we are of it, and we, we, we must love it, and we must serve it. And we must do that knowing that we'll probably get no thanks, that we'll probably get no appreciation. Um, I'm not, I, I hope I'm not saying that out of self-pity. I am honestly trying to talk turkey here, as the Americans say, to get down to belt and braces. I cannot see a way forward for you that is not sacrificial. But the good news is that a man you're made for. It's what you're for. It's what young officers are for as that evil man knew. The good ones weren't able to articulate. It's what you're for. It's what the priests are for. It's what fathers of families are for. It's what, it's what leaders everywhere are for. You're a walking sacrifice. And a sacrifice means something that is made holy by being handed over to the deity and consumed by him. Now, a way forward, okay? Because I know I tend to ramble on. So I'll, I'll try to put some sort of disciplined shape on this. A way forward. I would suggest that the first thing you start doing is that you start praying and doing penance for the church. Okay, in Ireland. Now, there are a lot of things on our side, believe it or not. Because even as this vast and unprecedented civilization has developed, it has become equally clear at every step that human beings cannot exist in such a gigantic society. It doesn't work. And as Burke said, what does us best are the little platoons, the small associations. And so what you have is, an, I'm not the, I, I'm by, this isn't original, you have at the same step as this incredible cosmopolitanism, you have a tribalization going on. So what's the whole identity thing about? It's that it's not enough to be a citizen of the world. It never was. Who can be a citizen of the world? Only, only psychotics love the whole world without knowing any of them. The test is the ones you know. And, and to live a satisfying and fully human life, you must somehow get a bite-sized purchase on reality. 
something that one can live in. And so you see, you see the identity politics going on. This is partly frustrated religion, frustrated attempts at transcendence, as is a lot of modern sport, by the way. I mean, this stuff is going on all the time if we can read the signs, as is a lot of modern music. This constant attempt, which now no longer can articulate itself at all, philosophically, theologically. Theologically, all right, yeah. Philosophically, no anymore, not as far as I know. The church itself is having to go back to Thomas, is having to go back to its roots. I... We have everything we need to do this. But it will be hard. Because we don't belong. Okay? So it will be hard. We have to start with prayer and fasting. We have to prepare ourselves for leadership. We have to prepare ourselves, that is to say, for sacrifice. We have to start with prayer and fasting, start with changing ourselves, and we have to go into the synodal process with the humility, with the mixture of humility and steely resolve with which my neighbor stood in the kitchen and quietly put his hand behind the dresser. We can do this one of two ways. Okay? But you must be willing to go into this synod and demand into this process and demand that the questions of personal sanctification, that the questions of active and intentional, proactive, highly professional training of cadres for, and I use the word deliberately, cadres, as the communists used to use them, for the work that we have to do, which, which is long and hard and complex to a very complex society. A society that prince pretends to be united and is in fact highly tribalized, and increasingly so. A society which would have been at war ages ago if it weren't for nuclear weapons. I, 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 I think. Just look at the world. Yeah, we're all killed pretending we like each other. We don't like each other. Okay? Human beings are terrifying, brilliant and gifted and terrifying. Now, the only ones who can preach to this society, the only ones who can preach convincingly to the human beings are, are ones who identify with Christ and one way or another this society will kill you. Will it kill you physically? Will you be physically killed? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, as we were saying earlier in a conversation, the West can teach the Chinese a thing or two any day. That's crude. That's crude. No, no, the West will kill you slowly. Mm, to be comfortable. And just slowly you won't get jobs, or you won't get this, or you won't get that, or you won't get invited to the parties, or you may lose friends, and, and bit by bit, because there are more ways to die than just physically. And social death is very hard for human beings because we're social by our very nature. Now, you, you can say back to me, Okay, I am finishing here. You can say back to me, we brought you here to give us a lift and you have totally depressed us and you've ruined our evening and please never come back. And I say, job done. Mission accomplished. Gentlemen, the situation is complex and fascinating and dangerous and desperate. It is ideal for men. It is ideal. And all that is wanting is that you be willing to lay down your lives and a few similar trifles. Yeah? 
If you're in for it, if you've skin in the game, if you're up for this, it, it's, there's no knowing what we can achieve. Because this world is not as sure of itself as it looks. I'm quite certain of that. There is nothing underneath its philosophy. Do you note how brilliant the world has become, this modern civilization has become at narcotizing its people and stopping them from thinking too deeply? Now, the two prophetic novels that were written in the first half of the 20th century, by far the more pr prophetic, and Orwell's novel was remarkable and has given, you know, any number of phrases to the English language, by far the more remarkable was Aldous Huxley's novel, uh, Brave New World. If you haven't read it, have a look at it. In Huxley's novel, written in the 20s, the state actually d dispenses um, antidepressants, a very powerful antidepressant called Soma, which is available to all citizens free. Apparently, the German population and a lot of the German army during the war got by on a particularly powerful one called Pervitin. You see, <laughs> tyrannies are good at this. You narcotize it. And people stop feeling the pain. No, no. If you're up for it, it's all to play for. If you're not, let me ask you to do something. Okay? Go out tonight, go drinking, turn to the world, abandon your faith, and stop messing around. Make a decision, one way or the other. Accept Christ or reject him. And then anything can happen. Even if you reject him, anything can happen. But this lukewarm messing that a lot of the Irish people are at is spiritually deadly. And it is no place for a Catholic man. Make your call. Make your decision. I leave you with Horatio. Do you remember this poem? It used to be on for the intercert. Then forth spake bold Horatius, the captain of the gate. To every man upon this earth, death cometh sooner or later. And how can man die better? And when facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods. <laughs>